Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker. Uh, as always, we're talking via the interwebs. It's a magical time to live. Hey, Heather, we've got a guest with us today. Who are we talking to and what are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking um, to Dr. Laura Markham and about one of my favorite topics, which is emotions. Usually we talk about uh, children's emotions and how we can help them through that, but really... So many people find that if they can't cope with their own emotions, how are they going to help with their kids or they take it out on the kids? So welcome, Dr. Laura. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you. And can you just tell folks, you have um, a couple of books out, but what is the brand new book that, that you have out right now? Well, this book is called The Peaceful Parent Happy Kids Workbook. And the subtitle, it's a long one, but it's using mindfulness, and connection to raise resilient, joyful children and rediscover your love of parenting. Mm-hmm. And I so, think the workbook part of it is there, there is some work involved in learning how to cope with emotions, especially if you've gotten to the ripe old age of parenthood and haven't really found a stable <laughs> way of reacting to the world. So I think there is some work involved in this, isn't there? Well, the reason I wrote the book is that Parents asked me for it. You know, my book, Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, I wrote five years ago. And I talked about three big ideas. Regulate your own emotions so you're able to return yourself to a calm state and you can connect with your child and coach them. Those are the three ideas, self-regulate, connect, coach. But parents kept telling me they love the book. They really learned a lot about how to connect and how to coach. But only one chapter on self-regulation just didn't cut it for them. They needed more support there. Mm -hmm. So this book, the first half, the entire first half, is about self-regulation. And it gives you the hands-on tools to work through your own triggers, to calm yourself down in those moments when it's chaos in your house and you just want to clobber your kids, and also to do self-care and That sounds like an easy word, but it means lots of different things to different people. And really, it's about being able to keep yourself on an even keel, and what do you need to do that? Yeah, those are all enormously important topics. And, you know, I think for some people who are coming, who are raised in different methods of parenting, when they encounter ideas of, um, you know, allowing your child to have that feeling, maybe not let them hit you, but be allow them to feel mad. Just that concept of that anger is okay is such a new one, and then they don't know it, it, what to do with their own big feelings. So it's, it's dealing with more than one person's feeling here. And that, that can get really um, scary for the grown-up. Well, I think scary is the operative word. You know, John Gottman, who is the foremost researcher on families in the United States, did a study where he looked at how parents relate to their children when the children get emotional. 
And what he found is that most parents are scared by their kids' emotions. And just as you say, it's because the parent really doesn't quite know what to do with those emotions in themselves. And so parents are very likely, you know, in the old days it was, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) Now, you know, it's more likely to be, um, oh, that didn't hurt. Oh, you're a big boy. Just brush that off. Or your sister doesn't get upset when she doesn't win the game or whatever. You know, that's shaming. Uh, so sometimes it's belittling or shaming. Sometimes it's just distraction. Like Have a like, lollipop. Exactly. Look, there's a birdie. Here, we'll give you a cookie. Oh, don't worry. We'll buy you another one. You know, whatever it is. So we give kids the message pretty constantly that, their feelings are dangerous. And when we give kids that message, what ends up happening is they don't get the help for how to deal with the feelings. They just sort of stuff them. But stuffed feelings don't stay stuffed. You know, they, they sort of bubble up to get healed. And what ends up happening is the kid becomes more volatile, more of what parents call a drama queen, where they're, they're getting emotional at the slightest thing. They, they sometimes get very rigid in an attempt to keep the feelings down. And that's really a sign of anxiety. You know, the epidemic of anxiety among our children is fueled by many things. It's fueled by the way schools deal with kids. It's fueled by um, media and electronics. But it's also, I am convinced, partly because parents shut down their kids' emotions, not, not because they're trying to really, but they just don't know what to do otherwise. And so kids end up, the, the effect of that is that kids stuff the feelings and get more anxious trying to hold them down. And so if you have a child who's struggling with anxiety, one thing to do is to look at, are they allowed to express their emotions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, this is probably not the case in, in most houses, but sometimes the, the parents are allowing the emotions to come out, but the child herself or himself for some reason feels they need to be perfect and and feels that they can't express the emotion, even if it's a uh, they're surrounded by people who say it's okay. So yes, and you know that's right. Sometimes it's coming from a child who's prone to be a bit more anxious. Yes, you're totally right, and it's not. I I shouldn't act like it's just because of the messages we give children. The truth is, for all of us, feeling distressing, feeling big emotions can feel distressing if they're emotions that we think of as, you know, um, hard to handle, like sadness or, or fear or anger, powerlessness, uh, frustration. And so a lot of times what you'll see is even very young children who have not absorbed a negative message from their parents just don't like that out-of-control feeling, and they will shut down the feelings. And so that's very common, too. So it is not just how the parent deals with it. But what we've learned is that when we allow the feelings. You know, we limit the behavior. Just because he's angry at his sister doesn't mean he's allowed to hit her or even be disrespectful to her. But we allow him to have those feelings and to express them. And then we help coach him with constructive ways to meet his needs in relationship to his sister without attacking her. Right. So, and I have had many parents come to me too and say, this is all very well and good to say, you know, you need to be calm yourself, but how do I go about doing that? So what do you find um, has been really helpful to parents who don't feel they have a good grasp on their own sense of cool, calm, and collectiveness? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, I think people have this um, mistaken idea that, oh, if you're a peaceful parent, you never get upset. No, the truth is every human being gets upset. Nobody is immune to that. But if you commit to what I call peaceful parenting, to regulating your own emotions, you return yourself to calm a little faster. That's really what it is. You can't stay calm, but you can, excuse me, you can return yourself to calm more readily. And the way to do that is first to be more aware of what you're feeling. So instead of just sliding over that edge into your own parental tantrum, notice you're getting close to that edge. Pull yourself back. Reframe the situation. Calm yourself down. So there's a whole set of practices that I go through in the workbook of how to monitor your own equilibrium and notice when you're getting close to the edge, how to reframe the situation using, using looking at your thoughts and looking at how they create the emotions you have about the situation. And also simply practice, practicing in calm moments can lend itself to when you get to those tough moments, you can more readily bring yourself back to center. And can I give you one tool that's a really specific tool of, of what parents can do? Absolutely. I love it. So I find that this is deceptively simple, but really effective. And I hear from parents all the time that it changes their life. It's very simple. It's a pause button that you've already got installed in your own psyche. It's called stop, drop, and breathe. You just stop what you're doing. You drop your agenda. Maybe your agenda is to get your kid in the bathtub. You're going to get your kid in the bathtub eventually, but stop what you're doing. Drop your agenda for this moment and take a deep breath. And what you notice is that your body suddenly feels different. You're, you interrupt that headlong flight to the cliff because, you know, when we're upset, we're in fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. That's a state of emergency. And we can't think well. And if you're in fight, your kid begins to look like the enemy. <laughs> and, you know, you're never going to do anything constructive from that place. So when you take the deep breath, it interrupts that flood of neurotransmitters and hormones that are coursing through your body telling you, okay, there's an emergency. There's the enemy. Go get them, you know. And if you were really in an emergency, you know, our genetics are from the Stone Age. So, you know, maybe there was a tiger there and we had to be up for the emergency to run or to to fight if we had nothing else we could do or to freeze act play dead. But if you took a deep breath at that moment, you wouldn't do that if there were really a tiger there, right? Your your body gets a different message like, oh, I guess it's not an emergency after all. So, so we now know, scientists have found that the deep breath or the several deep breaths really works. And the more you practice it, the better it works. But it works to interrupt that cascade of you know, chemicals in your body that are sending you off the cliff, you know, looking, you know, looking to clobber your kid. So instead, when you stop, drop, and breathe, you, you hit the pause button. You have a choice of what to do. Just a little opening. Do you want to go over the cliff or do you want to take another deep breath and try to calm the storm? Because what I always say is parents have an, our responsibility is to be the grown-up in the situation, which means we're the ones who have to calm the storm. There will be childish behavior. You can count on your kids acting childish. They're children. So what are you going to do with that? Are you going to uh, get sucked into it and be part of the drama, exacerbate the storm? 
Or are you going to find a way to calm the storm? And the only way to do that is to start by calming yourself. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is not just the before the storm, but a lot of times when there has been a storm of feelings in a household, that afterwards I find it's the adults who carry them on and hold these grudges and linger with them, whereas the kid two minutes later is all ready to climb on your lap and read a story or something. I mean, they're, they're past it. They've dropped it, and they've moved on. They're not just holding this little chip on their shoulder, whereas the adults sometimes it can go on for hours or days of holding those that those sort of battle formations of that kid was the enemy and now I'm all riled up and how to get calm again. It's sort of uh, taking on the emotions that the child had because they're so forceful and so powerful and then not being able to shed them. And that's one of the glories of being two years old or seven years old is that you can go from stormy weather to happy sunshine in a matter of seconds. That's such a great point. And you're so right. I have seen that so many times. And I think... You know, we attach meaning to everything that happens to us. Right, exactly. And humans, you know, we make meaning out of everything. And so we as adults, when our child says, I hate you, I want a new mommy, we're like, oh, my God, after everything I've done for you, all the sacrifices, how can you say such a thing to me? And we hold it against them, right? We take it personally. You know, your four-year-old or even your eight-year-old, they're pulling out the nuclear option because they want their way. They want you to see how upset they are. They don't understand it in the same way you do. It'd be like hurling at your partner in every discussion, I want a divorce. Well, most of us know better than to do that in every minor conflict. But our kids don't know better. They don't have the context. They don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex with executive function that can say, oh, no, you know, we don't need the nuclear option here. And so we've taken the whole thing personally when really it was not about us. It was about our kids' childishness and lack of a developed brain and their big tangled up feelings. You know, we could it's just very think hard of... not take it personally. Yes. And adults, I think, forget that um, it, none of it's personal. And I, I do, when I tell people, if your child says, I hate you, it's nothing personal, they just laugh. Whereas... <laughs> Honestly, that's the truth. It's not personal, but it can seem that way. And that's when we need to sort of distance ourselves and just say, this is typical child development behavior, not I'm the worst parent in the world. But sometimes it taps in to insecurities the adult may have or that we, um, the way we were brought up, we don't have experience with how to handle something like this. So it puts us in uncharted territory. And usually when people feel like they don't know what to do, they get nervous, and when you get nervous, you tend to get upset and so on. And so you're, you're wanting to have control, and you want to have control now, and so the only thing you think you can do is maybe yell <laughs> or something else. So I think it, 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 it taps into these insecure parts in the adults, and it also um, it shows that that's a signal, oh, we need some more tools in our toolbox because this is a pretty common occurrence. We should be able to figure out what to do. Jeff, you've been awfully quiet. Well, I, I've, I've been enjoying this. Um, Dr. Laura, I talk about uh, this topic a lot with uh, professional caregivers, preschool teachers and child care providers. And one thing I, I try to remind them is that we have 
little or no control over what goes on around us, but we do have a great deal of control over how we respond to it. And I think that ties in uh, pretty well with what you've been saying. Uh, way too often we, we, we as the adults go to these extremes when in reality that breath you talk about is, is, is such a powerful tool for making more mindful, more centered, more focused directions. Um, I'm wondering if you have another tidbit you can share with us uh, about how, how we as the adults can, can be better at managing these, those emotions. Um, I, I don't want to give away all the secrets of the book because I want people to go buy the book. Uh, but I, I was hoping maybe we could pause here and then come back with another episode and, and maybe dig into another tip. Is that doable? That sounds great. Excellent. Um, this has been Renegade Rules, part one with Dr. Laura talking about managing those adult emotions. We'll be back real quick with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.